Writer-filmmaker Joe Gans is here to talk about his new book, A Secret I Can't Tell, and give us his spin on our LGBTQ issues. Hi, Joe. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for having me on the show. Tell us about your new book. Well, it's a new old book, actually. It was first published 40 years ago, and then I finished two documentary films, and I decided to go back and relocate the families, and... Uh, so I interviewed, again, many of the children growing up in these uh, families and did an update, which came out just recently. What was your inspiration for writing it? Well, my inspiration was that in 1977, a law was passed in Florida which banned discrimination in housing, employment, and such based on sexuality, and then a group of people led by a born-again Christian beauty queen named Anita Bryant started this organization called Save the Children to overturn the law, and they created a lot of hate and fear-mongering and had a slogan, which is, homosexuals can't reproduce, so they must recruit, and um, they claimed that gay teachers in the schools would be a dangerous role model for kids, and very Quickly, the bill was overturned, and that incensed me. I just thought it was so nonsensical and nothing but creating fear. So uh, I thought to myself that if these folks were afraid of gay role models in the form of teachers, well, the biggest role model would be a gay parent. So why not interview gay families openly raising kids? So I uh, found 23 gay and lesbian families uh, by advertising in gay periodicals, uh, did a brief interview with them, and then chose five that I worked with and lived with for a week at a time over several years. And, uh, and then I put together this book. What do you hope to accomplish with this book, especially with the legislation going on now, like the uh, Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida and states that are following well, the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida is such a throwback to the 1977 bill that it's shocking to me. It's in the same state. It has the same feeling to it. It's just trying to create, you know, hate and prejudice uh, for political purposes. And um, it's very shocking that in this day and age, we're finding ourselves in the same place. On the one hand, we're finding ourselves in the same place, but I feel that this is a very different time. I know it's a very different time. Back when these kids were growing up in these homes, the title of the book is The Secret I Can't Tell because every single child growing up in these families felt that if they told their middle school friends or their high school friends that they were being raised in a gay or lesbian home, that they'd never hear the end of it. And they would be subject to you know so much teasing and bullying that it would never be worth it. Now, uh, as I went back to these families, they talked about their own kids, because these you know, children are now growing up with kids of their own, uh, all have gay, lesbian, transgender friends, and it's such a different world in terms of you know people in the media who you see that are openly gay or lesbian or transgender, and you, know, you go on TikTok, social media, so it's a very different world, and I feel like it's something of a last gasp. I mean, not to say that, um, you know, hate is going to be over. I think due to the MAGA 
Republicans, there's a resurgence of gay, black, and LGBTQ hate and prejudice. But the environment is completely different where, you know, you're exposed to people who you were never exposed to before. Before it was, you know, you would think you were growing up in the mid-70s in an all-white Christian world if you watch television or watch commercials, and it's a very different world now. You've created a, a number of uh, very influential documentaries. Would it be any chance that A Secret I Can't Tell would be developed into a full-length documentary feature? I don't know. Uh, I also made Taxicab Confessions on HBO for 16 years. And uh, the way that series worked was we had six miniature cameras hidden in a working taxi cab. I was in a followed vehicle. I could see and hear everything going on in the cabin. I could talk to the people in the back seat via a wireless earpiece in the uh, taxi driver's ear. So I was essentially talking to these people about their life. I tried to find the most important thing that was going on in their life at that moment and talk about it. And um, if you've seen the series, you, you know that there were many gay, lesbian, transgender rides where these folks were essentially telling their story from their perspective at a time where you really would not get that kind of honest look into, you know, the LGBTQ community anywhere else. Uh, and I will say that in the first 10 years of those 16 years, almost all of the folks would say that uh, they were kind of rejected by their community and often rejected by their family. And then as time went on, towards the end of the 16 years, it started to change dramatically, whereas by the end we had these rides where people would say, you know, my family is totally supportive, my community is totally supportive, and I feel like I was able to watch this transition happen in real time and uh, from a very personal perspective. I'm really glad to have been a part of that. What would you like to accomplish with your work? I wrote this book in my 20s, my late 20s, and then I started doing documentaries. So I've spent, you know, maybe 35 years doing documentary film and television. And I see my style of filmmaking as, I call it life in progress, where I try to be there as these moments unfold. So in a fiction film, you see everything as it's happening because it's scripted and so you're there as it happens. But in most documentaries, you're not. In my documentaries, I try to be there as events unfold, both the big events and the everyday events that give insight into people's lives and relationships. And so I think that by making these very personal, vulnerable, authentic types of documentaries, the viewer gets to connect with the subject and then gets led into the issue. And so um, in our very polarized environment here, people like say, I don't want to watch that documentary. I don't agree with it. And so you end up making a documentary that kind of preaches to the choir over and over. But uh, I think with my style of documentary that are life in progress, you get to really know and care about the subject and there's no narrator trying to tell you what to think. And so people, I think and hope from, you know, all backgrounds and opinions feel comfortable to watch my documentaries and uh, kind of connect with the issue in that way. And so that's why I do it that way.
As a fierce LGBTQ ally, what would you like to see happen for our LGBTQ community in the Biden administration in the next few years? Well, I would say I would like the Supreme Court to change. I'd like uh, the Democrats to enlarge the court. They won't be able to do that. I would like that to happen. I feel like uh, most of the damage that's being done lately is being done by the Supreme Court that is essentially, you know, ruling from their religious point of view. And uh, I think that it's very toxic. So that would be the best thing. It won't happen. But, you know, maybe he'll be able to put one or so new justices on the court. The Supreme Court is really doing so many undemocratic and unfair and, you know, overturning Roe versus Wade is something that I think most people didn't expect to happen. And now that it's happened, you know, it's very possible that uh, many other things could be changed that we count on. And um, they did pass the Effective Marriage Act, which in some respects protects the LGBTQ community. And uh, I personally think that this is an oligarchy. And uh, in this country, we have the Republican Party that is trying to, you know, protect the wealthy. And uh, often the way that's done is by creating prejudice and hate in, in different communities and turning people against each other. Um, you know, during the pandemic, the richest Americans became 40% richer just in, in a few years. You know, this is very toxic. Our country is giving tax breaks to the wealthy, and most of this country is really struggling financially. So this fear-mongering is distracting them from, you know, these economic issues, which are so important. With LGBTQ teens already four times more likely to attempt suicide than their heterosexual peers after facing bullying incidents, what advice would you have for these kids, especially in these challenging times? Well... My advice for the kids would be to focus on the fact that there's so much more acceptance, and I'm sure that gay and lesbian, transgender teens are being bullied, but when you look at the families in the book and what they had to deal with, they felt that absolutely everyone in their community, absolutely everyone in their middle school or high school was ignorant and unable to wrap their mind around and accept gay families, it's a very different world now. But what I would really recommend is for the parents to try to create safe places for these kids. I know that families in Texas and Florida who have transgender kids can't all pick up and move to California or New York or a more open-minded community, but that can make a tremendous difference in a kid upbringing an environment where he feels supported and understood. And so I think that it's so important for a child to feel safe. And uh, I know that there's huge swaths of this country that is prejudiced and trying to do what they can to undermine gay families. But I think that if you can create an, a safe environment for your child where they feel supported, and understood, it's going to make a huge difference. So as hard as that might be for a family, I would recommend it. How can people get information about a secret I can't tell? Well, I have a website, 
the website is joegantz.com. The book is on Amazon. So the book came out 40 years ago. I naively walked into these families that were dealing with so much prejudice, and they were like kind of psychologically under attack from their communities, even though the kids weren't open about it, they were so aware of it. And I waited till, you know, just now, 40 years later, to republish it. Um, because I think that now people can understand the nuance in all these issues and appreciate really how difficult it was for this first generation of parents raising kids in openly gay and lesbian homes. What other projects are you working on? Well, I just finished two documentaries. One is on climate change. It's called uh, The Race to Save the World. And it's about people who, for the most part, are practicing civil disobedience. And uh, they're doing sort of whatever they can to try to draw attention to this uh, existential crisis that is affecting our world promoting that film, and then I also did a film called Ending Disease, which is on stem cell regenerative medicine. And so I followed 10 different clinical trials for brain cancer, breast cancer, leukemia, lymphoma, HIV, spinal cord injury, retinitis pigmentosa, and babies born without an immune system. And the results are truly amazing. Medicine is in the process of changing from treating diseases with pills over a lifetime to uh, one-time cures. And in the next decade, there's going to be a whole host of diseases that are in the process of being cured in clinical trials, and it'll be available to people in the next decade or so. Is there a question you wish people would ask you? This is not exactly an answer to that question, but you talked about leaving CBS and mainstream news because you couldn't fully be yourself. So when we made Taxi Cab Confession, there was no reality television. We made Taxi Cab Confession and a few other shows, series on Sundance and Showtime and HBO. And in the beginning, people let us do what we were doing because no one really understood how we were doing documentary television. And then reality television started. And uh, I consider reality television to be the opposite of documentary television. Everything is pretty much set up and tried to be manipulated or pushed in a certain direction, whereas documentary television is to be authentic and things evolve organically. And as time went on, the people who we were working for thought they understood reality television and wanted us to make reality television, and I didn't want to, and I didn't like reality television. I didn't want to be a part of making it, and I was only going to do documentary social issue films. But at that time, I decided that I was going to try to finance them myself because, first of all, the kind of films I do are not sensational enough uh, really to get easily financed in advance by a network. So that was one issue. But also, you know, once you are working with a network, they have all the say about how it's done or what's included and not included. So I decided I was going to work uh, on these independently and raise the money myself. And there's an organization called the International Documentary Association. That's my 501c3 fiscal sponsor, meaning that donors can donate to 
the film. And it ends up being twice as hard to make the film because you have to produce the film and, you know, work with the subject and be on top of all the issues going on in the film. But then you also have to struggle to get the money in time to capture these life in progress events as they unfold. So it's a very hectic way to, to make a film, but it's the only way to have, you know, control over your own film. I'm starting one more now. And uh, this one's called The Science of Cures. And uh, I'm following regenerative therapy potential cures by um, focusing on the scientists. There's this wave of anti-science that is very dangerous. The Republicans are talking about prosecuting Fauci, who, you know, spent his entire life trying to protect this country from diseases. So there's this wave of anti-science that's very dangerous. And so I'm going to focus in this film on the scientists and uh, showing how, you know, this makes all our lives better. And that's what I'm focusing on now. Do you have a favorite quote or mantra to get you through these difficult times? Uh, I wouldn't say I have a quote that I, you know, say to myself like a mantra, but I do have a... um, fortune cookie fortune that I have in a small frame on my wall. And it says, only she who attempts the absurd can achieve the impossible. I, I think that it's easy to say, oh man, I can't make a difference, so why even try, you know, especially in our political system, you know, where it just seems corporations or people and rich people can donate as much as they want. It just seems so difficult for one person to make a difference. But I I think that uh, you have to trust that you can do something and possibly do something important and make a difference. 